Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast, and we'd like to take a minute to discuss what the science part of that really means. We assert that there is a single material reality that all humankind shares. Since that reality is true, empirical, and shared, science has no natural boundary. It is the common pursuit of all humankind, shared as equally as we are created. If that seems different than the world we live in, that's because science or empiricism isn't the law of the land. It's a radical, utopian idea that doesn't tinker quietly in labs, but rather wages war against our oldest, basest, vilest insanities. Racism is one of those afflictions, a perversion of the world as it truly is. Thus, it has always plagued science. In biology and medicine, every two steps forward has later taken a step back because many conclusions were built on racist premises. And whenever that has been the case, those conclusions were wrong and blinded us to material truth. Time wasted and people slaughtered, measured in hundreds of years and millions of lives, that is the malignancy of racism, as viral and murderous as any other mutated pathogen. So, as a science comedy podcast, Petri Dish asserts, in terms as certain as the world is round, racism is the enemy of reality. Its structures pervert the endeavor for truth. Its systemic power disables our noblest scientific ambitions. Thus, if you believe that E equals MC squared, that we're coded by the same genetic language, that the days are getting hotter and the world is round. Defend those beliefs. They are besieged by the same forces that would knee a man to death. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was our finest. Guys, welcome to Petri Dish. It's Nathan. I'm Sean. I'm Nathan. It's okay. I don't want to disassociate myself from my Nathanness. It is a Nathan. Well, this is, I mean, it, because, like, I've taken a lot of psychedelics recently, <laughs> and so I've been disassociating. And, like, now I am the Nathan Godhead, and I'm looking down on my Nathan body. So it's, like, kind of making my adjectives and adverbs and you're pronouns the, weird. You're the God Emperor. This is just going to be a Dune-based episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About uh, psychedelics, everybody. <laughs> we're going to talk about psychedelics today. Yeah, psychedelics, the root words, psyche and delune, or whatever. I don't know, Greek's weird. Anyway, yeah. it means soul and to reveal. And psychedelics, right? they definitely reveal your soul. <laughs> that Scientifically did. proven. They do some mind-revealing stuff, okay? They've kind of been popular right now, right? You know, there's people in Silicon Valley who microdose. Obviously, there's been a, a pro-LSD and psychedelic subculture for decades now. Yeah. And I think there's always kind of an open discussion about, like, what they're doing biochemically, why they're so cool, can you get addicted, right? I think there's a lot of open questions around psychedelics that people tend to have. Yeah, and, you know, so one thing I want to say is that I think from the very beginning, 
in the development of the idea, the category of drugs called psychedelics, there was a desire to differentiate that slightly as mind-revealing or mind-opening versus just visual hallucinations. Because a lot of them do cause visual hallucinations. Okay. But I think a lot of the proponents for psychedelics argue more that it's not really about seeing weird shit. It's about some kind of broader effect on your mind. Okay, so when you say that, that sounds to me like, you know, bullshit. But is there a scientific or even chemical meaning to, quote-unquote, revealing the mind? Well, we're going to get into that a little Very bit. sexy. Okay. So, guys, psychedelics, how they fuck your brain. <laughs> no! <laughs> God damn it! In a good way. Okay. It's good sex. Okay, good fuck. How do you have good, good, good sex with your brain? <laughs> Wear a condom. <laughs> Use protection. <laughs> Don't pause it, baby. All right. <laughs> So, one thing I'll say, or actually, Stacy says I say that too often, so let me take that. No. <laughs> what you're not going to say is... All right. Psychedelics can be broadly split into four categories. Classical, atypical, empathogens, and dissociatives. Those all sound like different research lines in Alpha Centauri to me. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> the empathogens, especially. Yeah, so. like the hive had so many empathogens. No, empathogens is like a Like green, like DJ. Yeah. yeah, it's like the way that you brainwashes people is with empathogens. Yeah, and mindworms. And anyway, mindworms. I've also seen people add a fifth category, deliriance. Mm. Although, like deliriance. A, that's where you take a four loco and you throw like four <laughs> espresso shots in there. I mean, kind of. Honestly, deliriance, from everything that I've read, sound like things that just start killing you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's an example? Uh, fly, fly Amantia. The I think it's the fuck name is of fly that Amantia. Fungus. It's that fungus that's like classic. It's the classic mushroom that looks like, oh, you're going to die mushroom. Oh, okay, cool. You Which know? is it's Bruce. A, it's like red cap with like the white spots or it's okay. like it's the prototypical fungus that's going to fuck you up with toxins and i think <laughs> there's supposed to be some dose right before it kills you wow where it makes you act really weird and okay. you're like <laughs> and for some people they're like oh it's a drug it's like i don't know i think that's just something killing you right, right right whatever anyway what's the scientific definition of drug that's a good question and okay. an, an active compound so it is a drug a bioactive compound it's just like a poisonous drug <laughs> yeah. yeah i think a lot of people when they talk about drugs outside the pharmaceutical context so not ones prescribed by doctors talking small business like fun time drugs fun time drugs <laughs> i think usually they want to pick ones that don't have a super high likelihood of killing you like right away so griffin recommended a new show to me on netflix called midnight gospel from the guy who made adventure time and we watched that episode uh, last night yeah. and like Griffin needs to stop hitting that pipe. That show is like fucking nuts. That's like way harder than any LSD I've seen someone drop. <laughs> like, that show's fucked, dude. Wow, sounds like fun. Okay, so anyway, the point is, I'm not sure I buy deliriance as a category, but even so, out of those four categories, there's so many drugs involved there that this time around, we're going to stick to the classical. Okay. Classical psychedelics. So fuck all the other categories. Let's talk classical psychedelics. Court of the Crimson King. <laughs> Prog rock. <laughs> <laughs> We're listening to yes. Just say yes to yes. Wow, okay. In the roundabout. So tell me about the different classical drugs. Okay. So 
classical psychedelics are 5-HT-2A agonists. So that's what, that's like, when we say classical, that's the shorthand for that formal expression? Yes. Gross. Okay, so tell me about these weirdo drugs. Okay, so examples of classical psychedelics are LSD. Mm, okay. Invented by the CIA, <laughs> very <No>. famously. <laughs> invented by accident. Um, right, didn't the guy just make it by accident and then go like, <laughs> like have yeah. a crazy trip? So what's interesting is, man, science had to have been way more fun when there weren't rules to protect people from dying. Yeah, because like, that was like during or right after World War II in Switzerland. Yeah, I want to say like 1921. That was like, dude, because, I mean, we talk about this all the time because you're a very sexy, sexy scientist. But, like, in the 20s, scientists were, like, fuck celebrities. Like, Schrodinger, um, uh, I was about to say Heidegger, but probably him, too. But, like, Bertrand Russell in philosophy, like, people, uh, Keynes, he was, like, straight up a crazy polyamorous son of a bitch. Like, people fucked like rabbits of your intellectuals back then, which is what I always hope you aspire to someday. (laughs) Well, I I think just what's fun or what's crazy about LSD is I feel like this is an example of somebody licking something they weren't supposed to. Right. You know what I mean? Like It's just like being in lab and being like, oh, that fucked me up. Like, what's going on? Can you imagine the historical moment of like the first trip on on synthetic LSD, right? Yeah, so LSD, lysergic acid diethylamide, is a synthetic derivative of an extract from ergot fungi. Fungi must have like the coolest consciousness. (laughs) (laughs) Just like always tripping all the time. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's another fungus that comes up in a couple couple more drugs later. That's what what I'm saying, dude. Yeah, they're doing the fun stuff. Yeah, that's why I feel like our fungus episodes are going to be really fun when we get to them. We should trip for them. (laughs) (laughs) I, I feel like you and I being together drugged in this kind of thing is much like us being together sober (laughs) well i'm concerned that it's like definitely gonna be a bad trip (laughs) i think i think we'll just like feed into each other's insanity just like all the way down Uh, yeah maybe so anyway i've actually never done a psychedelic me neither wow yeah. We're probably, like, not qualified to have this episode. Well, we're missing out a little bit. Yeah. I've always wanted to. But this is about the science of it anyway. It's not about, like, I was in the woods, right? right? Yeah, we're not, we're not like... It's not about the mouthfeel. We're not free... Well, I am free associating, but we're not, <laughs> we're not supposed to free associate. Okay. LSD is derived from this fucked fungus. Yeah. What else do we got? We got psilocybin and other tryptamines. Right. And so psilocybin or psilocin are from magic mushrooms. When I went to read college, this was, like... Like, everyone liked this especially because it was, like, the perfect place between hippie, free-range stuff and getting fucked. (laughs) Yeah, well, so LSD has to be made in a lab somewhere. Right. And, you know, I've looked into the synthesis of LSD. Okay, I've looked into the synthetic pathway. (laughs) It's pretty... There's some steps. Your first first internship? You just go into the lab right next to made LSD? Well, in in any case. (laughs) Psilocybin... You know, the, you just gotta grow some mushrooms. Yes, seems much easier. Okay? Yes, uh, there's also ibogaine, or that's probably not how you say it. Sure, but probably I'm, a better way to say that. It's probably ibogaine because ibo is the you know, one of the native tribes of Nigeria, and famously they made this first. Just kidding. So we don't. Oh, okay. Have, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we don't know what it is, or like we don't know how to say it. Yeah. Yeah. But this drug is. The root bark from the iboga tree. Why is nature all fucked up? <laughs> like, why is nature high all the time? Well, actually, so that I, I think we're actually going to get to talk about that in this episode because we're going to talk about the mechanism of action of these drugs. Cool. And so, you know, sometimes you put together enough small molecules out there, some of them are going to set off 
Some of them are going to pop off in our brains. Right. We luckily have been chewing on enough of the natural world. We right. found some things that work. Right. Okay, um, so our ancestors got fucked, basically, is what we're trying to say. Oh, for sure. Like, all the time. For sure. You're just sitting around hunting and gathering, dude. Yeah. <laughs> what are you gathering? Yeah. You're gathering magic mushrooms. Well, especially once they got just enough food for one person to not have to work. Right. That person got high all the time <laughs> as soon as they can afford one shaman yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so we have lsd magic mushrooms tree bark um ibogaine yeah okay and then what's dmt uh yeah so dmt dimethyl tryptamine is present in the shrub called psychotria viridis wow plants are cool and also a vine diploteris diploteris that's a, I think that's yeah. a dinosaur. <laughs> Diploteris <laughs> caburana. Mm. And these are common ingredients in ayahuasca. Ah, cool. The great suburban mom drug. <laughs> yeah, although what's interesting is that, like, if you were to take DMT, like, extract it, right? Mm-hmm. Separate it out. It's not actually psychoactive on its own. So, like, one of the aspects of ayahuasca that, like, really kind of can affect you. Okay. Is that it's actually a mix of different compounds in there. Right? right. Like when you brew something, you get a lot of stuff in there. Right. And there are other drugs that are required to be able to like make DMT orally bioactive as a psychedelic. So Ian Venture Brothers, when Brock Sampson took it, he had sex with a dolphin. What was mm. your experience? <laughs> <laughs> also dolphins. Also um, dolphins. Uh, and then I will say that, you know, so there's DMT. There's also something called 5-bromo-DMT, which is a very closely related compound that's actually found in sponges. Wow, dude. So SpongeBob SquarePants. That, that is a drugged out shit. Explains wow. the shit. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So that was actually, all of those guys were in the same category as psilocybin and other tryptamines. And then we have mescaline and other phenethylamines. So, wait, if you drink enough mezcal, you get wacky? No, mescaline. Oh, mescaline, my bad. Uh, It's from peyote cacti. Oh, okay, peyote. Yeah. Cool, boom. And then there's another one similar to mescaline, TCB2, discovered in 2006, so pretty recently. And it's actually used in a lot of the studies that I'll mention below. Cool. So, TCB2 is like the chemistry name. Okay. Like, that's like the chemistry version of mescaline, basically. Okay, so amongst classical psychedelics... There's a lot of really fucking cool shit growing out there. Yeah. So, okay. Except LSD, which is the only synthesized one we talked about. And TCB too. But ah, right, right, uh, right, right, right. now, now, there's a lot of quote-unquote designer psychedelics. Ones that have been developed in labs, derivatives of natural products and stuff like that. Right. I didn't list them here because there's a thousand of them. Yeah, and the derivatives. And, and their names that are like... XI372 or whatever, you know, like that. Right, that's like a sex robot that Elon Musk made. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so who gives a shit about any of uh, those synthetic ones? I wanted to hit the big right. names. So how do all these big sexy names work, Sean? Right. Like, do they just connect you to God metaphysically? Is there like, <laughs> is there like a physical brain that can physically interact with chemicals? <laughs> that's beautiful i guess not that's a beautiful question um (laughs) yes yes. (laughs) but also we should take a break okay yeah Woo.
how does this stuff work? Right. Okay. So to begin with, all of these are agonists. Okay. Mm. I think this terminology came up in a previous episode. Right. I remember uh, that because I remember. Yeah, because I remember when we said agonist last time. I had the exact same reaction I did today because I don't remember anything that we record. I was like, oh, that definitely sounds like an early Greek play. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. Like the Antigone agonists. or something. Right. And, uh, exactly. Okay. So all of these compounds are agonists of a certain receptor on cells called the 5-HT2A receptor. Okay. 5-HT2A. Yes. Mm. But I'm going to go into what all of that means anyway. But That was my favorite character. In the yeah. Star Wars movies? Not in the movies, in um, Revan. Uh, oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Knights yeah. of the Old Republic. Right, yeah, right. The assassin droid. 5, H2, 2, uh, 5 HT2A, voiced by Richard Ayoade. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's a receptor, and as a reminder, a receptor in biology is a protein, usually on the cell surface, that binds to something. And the thing it binds to is called a ligand. So ligands and receptors bind to each other. Right. Once the binding happens, the receptor transmits information into the cell that says hey i got bound to right and it sets off some kind of signaling okay? okay and agonists are some kind of molecule that binds to a receptor kind of like how its regular ligand binds right and sets off a similar kind of signaling right it's like the woman twerking in front of the police what? New signal. <laughs> what? It's not. No. I, I could be wrong. You just wanted to talk about them. No, I thought it was related, and I just okay. was wrong. The, the point is that if you know that, like, caffeine sets off this receptor. Right. Something else that's not caffeine that sets off the receptor the same way okay. would be an agonist. Okay. An antagonist is something that binds to the receptor but blocks signaling. Right. So instead of getting some kind of like positive signal, you get no signal. Right. Like um, like Drano. You drink a lot of Drano, a lot of stuff stops blocking your system. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? I'm, okay, well, I'm wrong twice in a row. It happens. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. And then there's a third option. Inverse agonists. Okay. Inverse agonists bind and set off signaling, but the signaling works opposite of normal signaling. Okay, so agonists bind to a receptor, sets a signal. Yeah. Antagonist binds to a receptor, no signal. Right. And a inverse agonist binds, sets off a different signal. Right. 5-HT receptor 2A. So what is that whole bunch of words? Yeah, okay. wow, okay. Just drop that like a nuke on me. <laughs> well, so I said that these drugs are agonists of that receptor, but what are all those words, right? LSD, magic mushrooms, all that stuff. Okay, so they bind to the 5-H2 receptor. 5-H-T receptor 2 Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, still, what does any of that mean? 5-H-T? 5-H-T stands for 5-hydroxytryptamine, but the much simpler name for that is serotonin. Oh, okay. 5-H-T I've heard is of serotonin. serotonin. Yeah. You know, I don't have it. Because <laughs> when I jog, I don't get a jogger's high. I just feel bad. <laughs> so I must not have serotonin that everyone's talking about. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. Um, serotonin is a neurotransmitter. Mm. It's also a signaling molecule produced in different spots in your body. Like your gut makes a lot of serotonin. But in general, I think we're pretty comfortable with the word serotonin. 5-HT, people might not recognize. 5-HT receptor 2A is a receptor for serotonin, okay? Okay. So LSD and all of this shit set off that receptor because they bind to those receptors in a similar way to serotonin. Interesting. Right? And 
in this particular case, there are many receptors for serotonin. Okay. And because of that, we've started naming them, you know, receptor 1, receptor 2A, receptor 2B, receptor 3. You know, we just keep going through. Right. It's almost like scientists make the nomenclature sound really nerdy so that normal people won't get too high. Because <laughs> if it was really easy to understand, everybody's going to get high. <laughs> you got to cloak it with jargon. It's like serotonin receptor sad times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Serotonin receptor happy times. Yeah. Because yes. I've seen, now that I've seen Midnight Gospel... People can't get too high. <laughs> that show is too high. <laughs> okay. So where is this receptor hanging out? Okay. The receptor is hanging out in a lot of places in your brain. All right. Okay. Just all over the place. Yeah. So when I first wrote the notes, I started naming like the the lobes of the brain where you find the stuff. Right. But then you took a little bit of ayahuasca. <laughs> you had the spirit journey with a wolf. And at the end of the spirit journey, the wolf was like, you don't need to name all the lobes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like... You write too much shit. Yeah. <laughs> People don't care. So that's a very good point, Spirit Wolf. I think you have groupies who care. No. Yeah. I mean, they're I, just after my body. I am. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, you're right. You're like, just after I am body. a groupie just after your body. All right. Anyway, uh, that's enough of that. Um, the important thing, I think, to actually take away is that there's a lot of different kinds of cells in your brain that have these 5-HT2A receptors. That's interesting. Okay. Why? Well, there's a lot of different contexts where serotonin is being used as a signaling molecule. Okay. To set off different messages. Okay, cool. And there's some cells called pyramidal cells. The Freemason cells. (laughs) These are neurons. These cells have an eye in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see a picture of these? No. They kind of (laughs) do. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck, dude. The Illuminati put pyramidal cells in your brain. The way that they're drawn a lot of times in some pictures of them, their middle cell body does kind of look like a triangle. so funny. And they have a nucleus in them, so it's kind of a circle inside of a triangle. Some context really quick is I very vehemently don't believe in conspiracy theories. But it is true that, of course, many of the founders are part of the Freemasons, and they really did not do themselves favors (laughs) by, like, putting weird shit on everything. (laughs) Like, the first third party was an anti-Masonic party. They invented the party convention and they really fucked the old order and opened the way for Andrew Jackson, it's kind of the founder's fault (laughs) for being so loving of, like, pyramids with eyeballs. Yeah. 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 But anyway. You guys got to leave that shit out next time. So there's these Freemason cells that are kind of pyramids (laughs) with eyeballs in your brain. Yes. And they are some of the most common neurons in the thinking part of your brain. Oh, my God. Dude, it's the... I don't want to say that's it. that's the <laughs> outermost layer of your brain, the most recent evolved part. Oh my god, that does a lot of the higher order thinking over the baser parts of the brain. Dude, my brain is like <laughs> Foucault's pendulum blowing up right now. You got <laughs> so many conspiracy theories. Yeah, you I have so say. much to write on 4chan later. <laughs> They're often excitatory in that they get turned on and send signals, being like, "Let's do this thing." Okay. But you also find the same receptor on what are called interneurons. And interneurons are neurons that hook up between two neurons and usually are inhibitory. Interesting. So they'll tell other neurons to calm down. They're the cock block friend. Yeah. Okay, cool. And you also find these receptors on glial and microglia cells. And those aren't even neurons. They're other cells in your brain that do things like help clear it out and stuff like that. Get rid of waste keep the neurons healthy. And so you can kind of get at this feeling that, wow, if you have something that can affect this receptor, 
you might see effects in all kinds of different ways in lots of different parts of your brain. That's pretty cool. Right. It might sometimes excite parts of your brain. It might sometimes dampen signals in other parts of your brain. Right. Okay. So you can imagine you'd see really complex results out of using something that sets off this receptor. Interesting. So you're just like dumping Agent Orange on the rainforest. A lot of stuff's going to happen. <laughs> you're going to see some effects. Okay, cool. Okay. And so the thing is that we mentioned that you can have agonists, you can have antagonists, right? And so... When you use antagonists, things that cut off signaling right. from this receptor, it can help fight depression. Right. But agonists that hit this receptor don't necessarily exacerbate depression. Mm. Right. It's more complicated than that. Okay. So just seeing one result from an antagonist doesn't necessarily mean that the agonist is going to have the opposite effect. Interesting. And so it's complicated. Right. Okay. Brain complicated. Right. It should be noted that 5-HT2A inverse agonists sometimes seem to be able to work as antipsychotics and may help combat hallucinations. That's pretty cool. So the brain's a pretty fuzzy place. A lot of wacky stuff going on. Hard to parse out. Yeah. Why? How do you think Stephen Hawking lived so long? What? Was it purely his brain? Just like his juice was so strong that like it like supercharged his body. <laughs> what does he how have do to think do with Steve, psychedelics? How do you think Stephen Hawking had sex with a nurse in the eighties? We already <laughs> besmirched Stephen Hawking on a different episode. I think you about asked it, this exact. I question. think about it like every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, let's move on from Stephen Hawking. Yes, I watched a great Earl Morris documentary like two months ago, and I just I just can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> uh, how does the universe work? <laughs> Wow. Why are we talking about biology, Sean? There's like, there's like physics. <laughs> just kidding. Just I, don't, kidding. I don't know it as well. There's philosophy. <laughs> Too difficult. Yeah, no, okay. I'm joking. <laughs> so what does this receptor do? Right. Okay. So we got this receptor. LSD is going to go whack on it. Yeah. Why does it matter? What's going on? Right. And so we have seen some people that have mutations in this receptor. Okay. And they usually have impaired memory recall. Okay. Right. So it does seem that this 5-HT2A receptor is important for helping somehow in memory. And so there's different kinds of learning in memory. Object memory is basically remembering that you've seen an object before. Okay. And this is where, like in all science discussions, we got to start drugging some rats. Oh, yeah. So tell me how did we drug rats to learn more about memory in this receptor? Oh, yeah. Okay. So rats like new objects. Okay, in that they like exploring, they like finding new shit. Right. They're, they're curious creatures. And so if you give it a new object one day, it'll give it a lot of attention. And the next day, if you put that same one plus a new object, it will remember it saw the first object. Okay. And be like, that's old shit. Right. And then it'll go and hang out with the new object. Okay, right? so rats have a better memory than I do. I get it. <laughs> Why is that important? So between the first and second day, if you give them a 5-HT2A agonist something kind of like LSD, or in this case, something similar to mescaline, they will spend way more time checking out the new object on day two. They'll become much more fixated on that new object. Right. And this could be related to increased neuronal plasticity and dendritic spinogenesis, which is the creation of new connections between neurons. So taking this drug might foster more connections between neurons and basically more neurons moving around, trying out... Hooking up with new neurons. Right. Okay. This might also be related to fear memory. Cool. Okay. So we generate conditioned fear responses to things. It's kind of like Pavlovian conditioning. Right. I don't though. 
I'm so brave. God. I'm always just like touching hot cast iron <laughs> yeah, pans. You just, keep, you just keep doing the same naughty thing over like and over smelling again. Smelling my flesh burn. <laughs> <laughs> so, generally speaking, with fear memories, kind of bad fear memories are where you match some sort of neutral stimulus with some kind of negative thing. Okay. okay. And then you start anticipating the negative thing when the neutral thing happens. Right. Like, I've got a lot of friends. They see a snake. They, like, flip the fuck out. The snake is neutral, but, like, maybe it bites you. Right? So, they get scared. Well, okay. Sure. But I would go further than that to say, like, maybe you had one day where you went to a different grocery store. And then when you got home, you found out that your home had been robbed. Okay. And then Ah, going to that grocery store in the future... Always makes you anxious that your home is getting robbed. I hate Trader Joe's. <laughs> In that you develop this association with something that actually is neutral, doesn't really have anything I to do with it. I see what you mean. So okay. the snake analogy is wrong because the snake actually does bite you. We're talking about I mean. something that's actually unrelated, but you can't help but like feel something. Right, and there are forms of conditioned fear responses like PTSD that are definitely related to at the time, very negative stimuli. Right. But a lot of those things can be triggered by what are later innocuous things. Right. Like fireworks or something, right? Right, sure. And so, in any case, we build up these fear memories. And so a lot of people are interested in a very cool term called fear extinction. Right. Which is a kind of learning in the brain that rewires or bypasses these conditioned fear responses. That's going to be the name of a terrible... Sci-fi movie. Fear extinction. Fear extinction. Beautiful. Just like a dinosaur eating people, basically. <laughs> 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 I mean, Jurassic Park 7. Yeah. Fear extinction. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, oh, Chris Pratt. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> he's pretty, though. I like him. Yeah, he's good in the office. I like him. What? Uh, Parks uh, and Rec. It, that is an office. <laughs> Psychedelic drugs do not seem to alter the development of conditioned fear, but they do seem to speed up the process of fear extinction in mice. In mice. It must be pretty lucky if you're like a rodent and like on the one lab is getting tumors. Oh, that's like yeah. Sean's lab. Yes. And then the other lab is like just getting eyes. Yeah. Like, just like dosing the shit out of you. Yes. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Some of them are luckier than others. <laughs> I think that is very, yeah. it's very astute. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, one thing I'll say is, you know, a lot of these studies are in mice because we're allowed to do these studies in mice. Right. And... That said, there are studies moving forward in people. That's pretty cool. That are trying out stuff like this, especially paired with therapy. And so the right. idea that's is what that, like even opens it up legally. Right. And that the idea is, you know, you can give some doses of these drugs to people and then put them in an environment where they feel safe and have them kind of go through a guided process. Right. That hopefully can kind of focus it more on being therapeutically useful. How do you scientifically study putting someone in the desert with a Native American guy and some peyote, though? <laughs> that sounds like a weird experiment to me. So was the Native American guy even really there? Uh, <laughs> if you give him enough peyote, then I feel like they can imagine their own... <laughs> their own Navajo man. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, <laughs> but then you also have some effects on hallucination and spatial cognition. Presumably, right? Right. right. I mean, well, I think that's, talking that's about, one right? of the famous ideas behind these agonists right like the irony is like the therapeutic quality of these drugs is not actually related to hallucinations at all right it's related to the signaling of fear but also (laughs) we're gonna get fucked (laughs) (laughs) there's an interesting part of the literature where they write about trying to develop psychedelics that don't cause hallucinations for therapeutic purposes that's cool because there is this 
sort of belief that they have therapeutic potential outside of hallucinations. Right. Leave um, it to scientists to take the fun out of something. Exactly. Huh? Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that are like, wait, why? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I think definitely a lot of people associate hallucinations with these psychedelics. It's a pretty major component of a lot of these drugs. I think it's the main association. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> and it seems to do this function by exciting neurons in the cortex that normally get excited by sensory neurons. So it's kind of like a misfire, right? In that it's setting off these neurons. Normally they're waiting for some kind of signal from your optic nerve, from your olfactory nerves, from your auditory nerves. And instead, they're getting this drug binding, setting off this receptor, and the neurons are like, oh, let's go. Right. And then that's making you see things. Interestingly, serotonin itself is not a hallucinogen. Right. Okay. So these agonists, they're binding to the same receptor that serotonin is supposed to bind to. It's actually it's a little mysterious as to why serotonin itself does not have hallucinogenic properties. Why? Well... I guess you just said it's mysterious. Right, but one of the reasons people think right now, one of the main theories, is that there's a lot of serotonin receptors. Right. And serotonin binds to all of them, whereas these agonists don't usually bind to all of right. those receptors. It does make sense, though. I mean, whenever you're just, like, walking along the strand in Manhattan Beach, there's always, like, one Chardonnay mom who's just, like, tripping balls <laughs> in the, like, the ice plants and be like, ah! <laughs> you know, and you pat them on the back and turn them over to make sure they're all right. You know, and then you keep going. It's too much serotonin. <laughs> Man, Beach is crazy. <laughs> There's some experiments where they've shown that even with 5-HT2A, the way that that signaling happens after binding, right? different psychedelics can have slightly different signaling. That's cool. So LSD and psilocybin, for example, set off what's called GQ-11. Wow. Along with GI. These are all G proteins, which are a certain kind of signaling protein. Right. Anyway, lyceride is another agonist of this receptor. Okay. But we don't normally take it as a psychedelic because it doesn't give you hallucinations. That's cool. It still sets off this receptor, though. It stimulates only GQ. It doesn't do G11 and it doesn't do GI. Okay, interesting. So it might be possible that even with just this one receptor, little nuances... And it's downstream signaling. Wow. Might be enough to say hallucination or no hallucination. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so that's what I was kind of saying is that like, hey, some scientists are actively pursuing that side of it. Because they're like, if we have a clinical trial, we cannot dose 5,000 Americans with a hallucinogen and get approval from the FDA. The CIA did it. <laughs> yeah, well, the CIA gets to do all kinds of sneaky stuff, but you can't send right. those people out onto the streets. Right, that's true. Americans? This is, this is, yeah, <laughs> this is why it's hard to, like, argue with conspiracy theorists, is then they're like, well, what about, uh, what was that project called the CIA did where they tripped people's balls? Oh, fuck. It's um, like a, a Ultra, right? MK Ultra. MK Ultra. And they, they bring that up and you're like, oh, I guess so. Yeah, that is the problem. <laughs> you're like, uh, well, you know. We've done enough naughty things that, like, occasionally the conspiracy theory is right. Right, and you're like, ah, fuck. Yeah. But I really still think the Earth's not flat. <laughs> they're, they're like, what about MK Ultra? And you're like, ah! <laughs> well, anyways, but I mean, I think we've strayed uh, too far from rat stripping balls. <laughs> Tell me more about rat stripping balls. Yeah, so maybe unsurprisingly, rats that are tripping balls may have their spatial cognition impaired. You know, I think about this more when you're, like, drinking or something like that. You kind of stagger around. Kumbi! Yeah. <laughs> it seems like rats kind of have this issue when they're hallucinating. That's where interesting. There's potentially this mismatch between their visual interpretation right. and their internal spatial cues. That's pretty interesting. And that's like a rat problem then, huh? 
Because all the people I've seen hallucinate, straight lines, baby. <laughs> they walk better than they ever have before. All right, it's an interesting question. This is maybe a spot where it's unfortunate that neither one of us has taken a psychedelic. Well, I remember the one time I did, I just became a rat and just cried in the fetal position for two hours. I also, <laughs> it's very sad. I also imagined that being on psychedelics, I would be in the fetal position a lot. Right. But yeah. <laughs> I've never taken it. <laughs> but yes, if we had taken it, we would know whether we walk in straight lines or not. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Stacy, when you do drugs, do you walk in straight lines? No. She's giving us shaking her head. But now. Animal Crossing <laughs> has a very similar effect on serotonin and receptors. Uh, and I mean she just like collapses. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Hallucinating Tanuki. Yeah. Animal Crossing is definitely a drug. All right, let's take a break, and then when we get back, let's talk about psilocybin's effect on anxiety and depression. Oh, God! <laughs> the following is an actual advertisement. Oh, hey there. We didn't see you. We were just sitting here writing our show notes in our warm smoking jacket, warm fire, and warm cognac. Wow, Anita, what a description you've painted there. It's like I'm in the room with you. Because you are, Kira. As you can tell, dear listener, we put a lot of effort into this podcast because we have to, because we're just so damn unexceptional. Unlike our guests. Our guests are quite the opposite. And we interview everyone from a bin man to a junior doctor to a nurse to a Mormon to a sociology teacher. And we poke around in their lives and find out what makes them truly exceptional. It's all about celebrating everyday people. And after we finish recording, we come back here sit down, stroke our Persian cat, and get on with the show notes. That makes it sound like we're really <laughs> celebrating them. <laughs> Find us at underscore unexceptionals. Okay, guys, we're back. Now, as someone who, you know, is just racked with anxiety and depression constantly, oh, God, what about the global system of inequality? You know, something that could help with anxiety and depression is a very appealing thing. Sean. In your dulcet, luscious tones. Eh, you're not really that dulcet, luscious. Just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell me about how this crazy shit can recept bind, make love oh. to your brain, and help with depression and anxiety. Yeah, sure. So, psilocybin has actually been used in trials, including randomized clinical trials, to treat patients with anxiety and depression. Oh, by the way, guys, we're not a medical podcast. Don't take shrooms based on what we're saying here. Take shrooms because they're cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very good. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So what I'll say, I guess, up front is that most of these trials are pretty small. Okay. Pretty small. Not a huge number of people. Cool. You know, to be fair, it's a little difficult to get approval to do these kinds of studies. So Sweet. I think they did their best. One example is in 51 cancer patients with life-threatening diagnoses. Okay. Another one with 12 more cancer patients with advanced wow. cancer. 29 patients with cancer-related anxiety and depression. So in all of these cases, a lot of people, the reason why they're taking psilocybin is not to treat the cancer. Right. They're going to go. Most likely. Yeah. For a lot of these people, they're at an advanced stage enough right. for cancer where they are trying to cope with their impending death. Wow. And so... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And that, yeah, let's take some LSD. <laughs> it's funny because, like, this is the scientific way of saying, like, I feel like a movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt <laughs> is like, let's take some LSD and, like, think about life a little bit yeah. and appreciate it, you yeah. know? So this is the science version of it. Right. Okay, so then besides all of the cancer-related ones, there's also 12 patients with moderate to severe unipolar treatment-resistant major depression. Okay. Okay, so not bipolar. Right. Uh, not tripolar. Not even. Dr. Venture's tripolar. That's the first episode. <laughs> it's a deep cut. <laughs> and this is treatment-resistant depression, right? So these patients are ones that they already tried some treatment and it did not help with the depression, and they went with psilocybin. And all of those patients saw a rapid and enduring improvement to anxiety and depression. Yeah. I think, in a weird kind of way, some part of that's not surprising. Like, yeah. just, just based on what popularly we think of nowadays is what psychedelics do. You know sure. what I mean? If reality's rough, ass fuck reality a little bit and like maybe it'll be better. But what I think is interesting. <laughs> well no, so I agree yeah. with you. Right. But I, I think the deeper part of that right. that's actually a little bit more significant is the enduring part. Oh yeah. That is right? really interesting. Because when you're in the moment, sure, tripping balls and you're seeing like mermaids swim across your room and stuff, maybe all of that is like weird enough that, like, you're distracted from whatever is bothering you in life, right? Great Fly the Concord song. <laughs> <laughs> but the mind-expanding or altering part that's the whole root of psychedelic drug category... Right. ...is kind of part and parcel with this idea that the effect lasts longer because it does fundamentally change your brain architecture. Right. Which I think does seem to be borne out. So psilocybin has also been tested on people who have OCD... Alcohol dependence. Yes. Anxiety, although that was LSD that right. was tested. And there was also a study with ayahuasca with 17 people with depression. Dude, that was just... That's not a study. That was just 17 moms in Sherman Oaks. <laughs> you know? And just like someone wrote about it. Like Ronan Farrow was in on it and just like wrote an article on it. <laughs> I mean, if people want to see any of these studies, they're in the show notes, all the links. That's you guys can check them out. Cool. I think a big thing, again, all of these are small numbers of people. Right. Small, small, small. Right. And it doesn't help that a lot of these drugs are scheduled. Right. It is not easy as a lab to get permission to do any of these. Right. So I think a lot of that would help if we could... Move the ball a little stuff. bit. Yeah. Do you know the trick is we need to get Kentucky farmers to grow a lot of this stuff, <laughs> and then like all of a sudden Mitch McConnell is going to be like, "LSD is a great American tradition," yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Although it turns out, dude, the hemp market there's a lot of elements of the hemp market they didn't deregulate or deschedule, and so Kentucky farmers got fucked because oh. they made all this hemp, and Mitch McConnell's like, "No way, you make the hemp," and then they like grow all this hemp, and then like a lot of people won't buy hemp product. Wow. Right. And so they're just like, hey, Mitch, help us out. And Mitch is like, we can't pass another stimulus. And they're like, what are you talking about, bro? <laughs> like, that's not related. Poor Kentuckians. Yeah, well, they need to vote for a different person. Agreed. <laughs> so another thing I'll say about all these trials is that a lot of these were one to two doses compared to your typical psychopharmaceutical. Cool. Okay. Where a lot of these drugs you take, an SSRI or something like that, you take it repeatedly. Right. And it takes a few doses right. for you to start to feel the effects. LSD, famously. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, so that I think is like an actual fundamental and like really interesting difference right. in two drugs that are otherwise, they're affecting your brain architecture. I mean, like right. the, the point of psychopharmaceuticals that you get prescribed from a psychiatrist is to affect your brain chemistry. Right. 
these psychedelics also <laughs> affect your brain chemistry. Right. But they do seem to work in that really interesting difference there. They're just ubermensch drugs somehow. Get right on it. They do seem to get in there and do their thing one to two times, and then it does seem to have some lasting effects. It is funny how I was listening to the Ezra Klein episode on psychedelics, and I was like, eh, fuck this guy. Like, it sounds like some lame San Francisco bullshit. Uh-huh. And this episode, it's not even that I want to like do it, but it's like, we need to like legalize this shit now, because this is <laughs> awesome. Like This is so crazy that psychedelic drugs are so interesting and unique on a biological level. Yeah, I think... Another thing is just a lot of people have been taking these drugs for a very long time. Right. You know, thousands of years. The first hunter-gatherer who didn't have to do anything. (laughs) Exactly. What benefits could we see in people if you also had psychological support along with these drugs? Like, like, if any of this drug use is some kind of self-medicating that people are doing, what if you added in there professionals that know how to really build a good environment for it, know how to really apply it to these things like OCD or maybe depression, PTSD. There'd probably be no racial injustice. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. But, right, but it could go really... around dosing all the racists. But, but, no, but it could really help. I mean, like with our shaman in a hunter-gatherer society, you know, what they do is you give them some drugs and throw them in a hut alone for like four days. They start talking to God. What if we gave some people some drugs, but like, I mean, psychedelic drugs, not cocaine. But, like, we gave people some psychedelics in, like, a kind of better regulated and controlled environment. Maybe it could, like, really help with things like PTSD. Yeah, and, I mean, it's funny. When you said the... When, when you said the racist thing and everything like that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say a racist thing. No, no. no when, when you said <laughs> the thing relating to racism. Yes. At first, I just wanted to jump on you and be mad. Right? What? But... I want you to jump on me. No. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> But what I will say is that a lot of people report feeling more connected to other people. Sure. After taking psychedelics. Right. I have not taken it, but I've been around people taking it, and they're trying to connect with me a lot. At the very top of the show, we said we're only talking about classical ones here. Right. One of the categories, empathogens, Mm -hmm. really specifically make you feel connected to other humans. Right. Can any of these things be used to help people feel more connected to each other? Right. I don't know. It'd be great to deschedule them so that we can fucking do these studies. Right. What if instead of, you know, meeting violence or like using violence against protesters, we just like got the cops together, got the people together and just like pass around some ayahuasca. Like what could we discover with each other? Who'd fuck who? You know, like (laughs) who would twerk? Everyone would fuck everyone. Um, (laughs) In a good way. The last thing I'll say science wise for this episode is that there might be structural brain changes that are happening in chronic users of psychedelics. Like a lot of these studies are one or two times. right? Right. What about people who are dosing themselves with LSD, microdosing or just regular dosing themselves? Right. What about a shaman in the woods? Commonly for a long period of time. How does that affect your brain? That's something that we don't know yet because, so I see in the notes, we do actually have studies in early stages though. Yeah. So what does that mean? You're like, that almost sounds like anthropology to me, like where you go to like some old dude who's just like tripped up for years. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You do brain studies on people who self-report having administered for a very long period of time. Right. But- That kind of stuff, it is very early stage, and we do not know what the functional consequences of that kind of use may be. Legalize shrooms. (laughs) Yeah, I think we should. This episode literally (laughs) turned me. Like, literally from the start (laughs) to the end of recording, my position changed. Well, I mean, it wasn't that I was like, we have to throw people in prison over it. But, like, I was like, eh. And then, like, by the end, it's like, oh, my God, dude. It's like I just saw 2001 Space Odyssey. (laughs) 
<laughs> like literally, this is like my like I'm like looking at this big black pillar in my eye right now. Like I'm tripping right now, and you're a big black pillar telling me to pick up the bone. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, break some shit. Midnight gospel. That's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> So let's let's close it out. Um, okay. <laughs> right. On that note, yeah, on, Nathan needs to nap. Yeah, Nathan's tripping. Uh, <laughs> let's say thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you to Brian Allen, our art man. Thank you to Griffin Allen for the cool little uh, animations he's doing. You guys should check that out on Instagram at Petri Dish Podcast or on Twitter at Dish Podcast. Thanks to all our listeners and to all the people who signed up on Patreon. You guys, your, your support is really helpful and it warms us to the bone, to yeah. the receptors. And uh, if any of these episodes are interesting to you and you want to help support us some more, like our cool patrons that are already there, you can go to patreon.com slash Petri Dish. And, and review out. us. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, it starts out at a dollar a month. So if you can swing that, we really appreciate it. If you can swing a thousand a month, you know, like, that's still not a lot, but, you know, that's fine. <laughs> Bezos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, be the, start the, <laughs> be the change in the world you want to see. Provide us a living wage, $4,000 a month. <laughs> All right. And uh, please rate and review us in places like Apple Podcasts or podchaser.com. And guys, get trippin'. Ich benign shrooms. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs>